Kia everyone, lovely to see you. I just opened up my iPad with um, the screensaver on my iPad is a screenshot obviously that my older boy has done in regards to the younger boy. It's a Google search. Why is Lachlan addicted to Fortnite? So there you go, that's my, uh, my screensaver. Lovely to see you this morning. You should sit in the front row one time, especially if you're singing This Is My Desire, because you just sing and then you just stop singing for a moment. It's like, whoa, it's like an amazing choir behind. So the further back you go, the less the choir effect, but the further forward you come, the more um, delightful that is. So that was cool. Um, delighted to have Ben on board. Pray for Ben, that's awesome. Uh, pray for Ian Foster as well. Uh, pray for my dad as he processes Ian Foster. Let's make sure I'm recording this. Am I recording? I think I'm recording. Hey, lovely to see you. Hey, uh, mostly I write sermons for the person next to you. Uh, this morning's this morning sermons for you this morning. So there you go. So that's a little. That's just a special treat. So I know most Sundays you're like, oh yeah, that's for that's for the person next to me. That's brilliant. This morning one I, I had you in mind. So it's just for you this morning. So uh, trust that is a blessing to you in some way. Shape or form. We're going to carry on with our series on um, parables. Matthew chapter 13, 33 to 35. He told them still another parable. Uh, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Uh, Matthew uses heaven because he's writing to a Jewish audience that wouldn't normally use the name of God out loud. Mark and Luke tend to say the kingdom of God, but kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, uh, which there is a hiddenness to. We've been talking about that rather than a bricks and mortar reality. It's a, there's a hiddenness to the kingdom of God. Um, it's, it's within you and among you and within your midst. It says this kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman mixed into about 60, 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And it says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. How good is that? Hidden since the creation of the world is that the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman needs through about 60 pounds of flour. So there you go to make dough. So that's life-giving and helpful. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's always life and truth to us. And uh, as we share some thoughts this morning, may the meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth, be something that's pleasing to you and something that your Holy Spirit would use to speak to people in some way, shape, or form this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, this morning, I brought along uh, two of my favorite novels. Uh, I've brought along The Hunt for Red October by Tom Clancy, and I've brought along uh, Magician by uh, Raymond E. Feast. Uh, they're up there. Apparent, apparently Russian tragedies are the truly great novels, and uh, I've worked on them. I, I re I've made significant efforts into three or four of the Russian tragedies, and uh, I'm just not there yet. Uh, they, they don't do a lot for me, so they haven't captured my imagination. I'm more for like good old-fashioned adventures rather than Russian tragedies. Uh, so uh, I've brought along a couple. These are my um, these are my first edition copies. So that's a first edition of Raymond E. Feast book, Magician, 1982, first edition hardback. 
Uh, when I ordered that, you pay the extra money, it turns up, and it was all nicely dust jacketed. With the, so I was very happy with that. And I've got other editions. I've got the first edition. I've got the re, the author's preferred extended edition. I've got another edition. I've read them all multiple times. Uh, this is my first edition of The Hunt for Red October by Tom Clancy. And I paid extra for that too. And then when that turned up, it didn't have the dust jacket on it that was in the photo, which was, I mourned for a while. It was, it was, it was painful, so that was very disappointing. So if you do have a Hunt for Red October 1st edition dust jacket lying around in your house, um, I really appreciate that. That would be good. Uh, I don't have a 1st edition Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobe uh, at the moment. Uh, you can get them. All, all seven are actually for sale at the moment, but I don't have a spare 72 US thousand to um, grab those. So, 70, so again, if you have a first edition Chronicles of Narnia lying around in the house that you're just not reading anymore, just throw it over to me. I'd, I'd appreciate that. Uh, but these are my, uh, these are my uh, first edition copies, and um, they're, they're, uh, they're great books. Both of them are stories that have multiple story arcs up on the next slide. Uh, both of them are stories with multiple story arcs. I don't like novels that have one story. That's not really a novel. I don't know what that is, but that's not something that I'm wanting to get involved in with my life. I'm looking for multiple story arcs. I'm looking for complexity. I'm looking for all sorts of things to be happening at once. There needs to be a variety of characters and situations and scenarios and adventures and stories on folding and they all need to be wildly disconnected and unrelated for about the first two thirds of the book and then the last third of the book needs to start weaving them away, uh, together in a way that leaves you con, uh, kind of on the edge of your seat going, I was not expecting that, that's outstanding. Uh, and Tom Clancy really is that, Tom Clancy's a master storyteller in regards to those kinds of scenarios, multiple disconnected stories that suddenly kind of all come together at the end. They're like a good sermon. You don't know where it's heading until <laughs> right, at the, uh, right at the end. Um, as well, there needs to be multiple sequels. Uh, I, don't, I pretty much don't ever read standalone novels because um, if it's really good and then you get to the end of it, it's like, I want more of that but there's not any more of that. So I pretty much don't do standalone novels. I did read one standalone novel this year, but it was like 1,500 pages or something. It was like, okay, so it's, that's a decent return on the investment that I'm gonna make into reading that novel. There needs to be, needs to be more. And, uh, Tom Clancy, Read the Hunt for Red October. Essentially, there's about 11 in the series that are, are all around Jack Ryan, so that's good. Magician is the first of 30. So there you go. So that'll, that'll keep you going for a month or two. So uh, I just finished number 30 for the second or third time recently. So there you go, I've read these. These are the only novels I've ever read more than once. I've never read any other novels more than once. Only Tom Clancy and Raymond E. Feast. So there needs to be, uh, it needs to be that kind of deal. Uh, then later, when you discover that there's a prequel up on the next slide, like backstories of multiple complexity that come before the main story, well, that's just a bonus. That's, that's good as well. Uh, I enjoy that. Nothing more satisfying than a good backstory. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's outstanding. Uh, with adventure stories, uh, the plot is fairly predictable in one sense, and yet the excitement or the intrigue is how is the author going to outwork what is a pretty common kind of uh, a story. Uh, and we won't, we won't get bogged down into it, but they, they tend to follow the idea of the hero's journey, which if you've studied literature before, you'd, you'd know a little bit about. But it's a journey from the known into the unknown, 
And then there's all sorts of kind of trials and tribulations and, and experience. I think we've got that on the next slide as well. There's all sorts of stuff that ha kind of happens in that journey. You journey out of the, the known world, out beyond the fire or out beyond the walls or out beyond the map that you have into the unknown territory. And there's all sorts of kind of things that happen in these traditional stories. You'll meet a helper or a coach or a mentor that help you get through things and then they'll probably die. <laughs> Leave you on your own and then you kind of go down to the depths and you have to kind of fight the demons and or the dragon or the whatever it might be. And you kind of come out the other side and learn some things and then you journey back into the known territory and you find yourself at home again. A uh, classic example is Bilbo Baggins' story, which he titles, uh, we know it as Lord of the Rings, but Bilbo Baggins, oh, maybe The Hobbit, we know it as The Hobbit, but Bilbo Baggins titles it There and Back Again. A story of Bilbo Baggins, There and Back Again. And it's about him moving out beyond the knowing of the Shire into this vast unknown world of terror and all these kind of things. But then he gets helpers that are going to help him along the way, but then that all splits up and he's got Samwise and they get there and there's, you know, you know the story. And then they come back to the Shire eventually. And um, uh, the Shire is exactly the same, but these people are no longer the same. And they're, they're fascinating stories. Uh, Jack Ryan, he's comfortably living in his very known world as a history teacher. Uh, but then he becomes an, an analyst for the CIA, which is pretty cool. Uh, but then he's called upon to leave the office and to go into the field as an agent, moving um, beyond the safety of the office uh, into the unknown territory of, in this one, is trying to sort out a Russian submarine and, and, and have a Russian uh, Navy admiral, ad, admirable, an, an admirable, admiral, uh, uh, come to America and all of this kind of thing. And he goes through the adventures and he has Admiral Greer, who's his kind of coach and cheers him on and helps, but then Admiral Greer does end up dying. And then he finds himself at the, literally at the bottom of the ocean in a submarine having a shootout. Like that's a picture of like being in the depths of despair and all this kind of thing. Uh, but then kind of comes up and saves the day and sorts it all out and then kind of goes back to his office to kind of live happily ever after. Except that there's 11 more books. And so he has to journey out to the unknown again and the, the cycle kind of repeats itself and uh, they're, they're fascinating. Um, the, the best kinds of, of stories. Um, the worst is when the author of a series dies before they've finished the series. Um, that's a letdown. Um, I, didn't, I haven't even bothered with The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan, like 12, 14 books, but then he passes away and so someone has to finish off the last three. He's like, you know it's going to change tack right at the end and not really be what you were looking for. That's not what I was hoping or expecting when you read that, that last one. Uh, it's, happened to, it's happened to a few of them though. Frank, Frank Herbert uh, with June, Robert Jordan with The Wheel of Time. Tolkien died before he'd finished the, the Children of Ruin series. Um, who else? Robert Ludlam, the Jason Bourne series. And so old mate Eric took over with the Jason Bourne series. It was never quite the same kind of thing. So it's, it's a bummer when the author dies. Because we all like the arcs of the story to be rounded off nicely. Uh, Raymond E. Feast is 70-something now, and he's finished his series that starts, the first book's Magician, the last one's Magician's End. All of the arcs across 30 books are all rounded off nicely by the time you get to the end, and now he's writing a different series that's unrelated to that world, because uh, he could pass away at some stage, and at least we won't be left with that story unfinished. It's so nice to get to the end, and all the stories are kind of well-rounded off. Um, of course, one of the great things about novels is they suck you right in. Like, you, you end up living in that world. I remember when I was, 
about 13 reading uh, a different Tom Clancy novel, reading Patriot Games when I was about 13 at about one o'clock in the morning with a torch, like way beyond, like not, we, I wasn't allowed to read till one in the morning with a torch, but I'm under the blankets with uh, Patriot Games. One o'clock in the morning, IRA terrorists uh, going through Jack Ryan's house up on the cliff and it's raining and all the power's been turned out kind of thing. And I can remember at one point, being so metaphorically speaking on the edge of my seat in bed under the covers with a torch that I could not I could not get to the page fast enough to turn it to see what was about I, I was nervous and excited and sweating and and I, and I actually it took me like three goes to turn the page I was oh what is happening is that that good just sucks you into this kind of whole different world uh, you find yourself living in that world but without any of the post-traumatic stress that comes from having IRA terrorists go through your house in the middle of the night, um, which is the great joy and delight of novels, really, is that we get all the adventure without any of the trauma. Uh, I enjoy Stranger Things. This is not St. Luke's endorsement of watching Stranger Things, but I love that. Um, in reality, there'd only be one season, and all these little kids that had to go into the upside down and fight demigorgons, like, that'd be it, like the trauma. There'd be no series two, three, or four. Like There'd be dysfunctional kind of thing, but in the series, they, they can face all sorts of trauma, and they're stronger for it. Uh, we often face all sorts of trauma and go, that's it, I don't want to ever go back there again and deal with that. So we go, we go to novel. That's the appeal of stories and novels and, and good TV series. There's these multiple arcs of complexity and being able to step into that world without actually having to step into that world. I remember my brother years ago when Jackass first came, Johnny Knoxville and his friends going down steep hills and shopping trolleys with no brakes or anything or running around in a paddock with a ball or whatever it might be, just stupid things. I remember him saying, they do all the things I want to do, but I'm too scared to do. And I was like, yeah, well, a good novel's like that. It takes you into that world of where you don't really want to live, but it's exciting to kind of dip in there for a moment. You can have adventures in galaxies far, far away or at number four Privet Drive or in a hobbit hole in the ground, uh, all while sitting by the fire in your slippers having a cup of Earl Grey. So, you know, it's, it's, it's delightful, those kinds of realities. Some of you are probably already thinking about this afternoon and the novel that you're halfway through and sitting by the fire in your slippers with a couple of Earl, cup of Earl Grey and just kind of carrying on that, that adventure, that journey. Uh, being a Sunday afternoon, you know eventually your, your head will tip forward or back and that'll be, you'll only do about three pages and then you'll be fast asleep. But hey, look, that's the, that's the point of a Sunday afternoon. I don't even know, that's what a Sunday afternoon is for. So it's in, it's in the Bible, uh, Proverbs 32, I think you can, you can read about that. Perfection. Really though, your life, your story, your journey isn't too different from the multiple arcs of the novel up on the, the next slide there. Um, your story isn't too, isn't too uh, different. Up on the next one, Ken? Yes, no, oh, back, next, back, there we go. Your, your life's not too different to that, in reality. The only thing is it probably doesn't feel like a best-selling CIA thriller. That's, the, that's probably the, that's the, the main point of difference. Uh, I know my life, as I've got older, um, there's a lot less quicksand. Uh, there's a lot less climbing up elevator shafts. There's a lot less being in airports with Lisa running to leap in my arms and, you know, PDA. It's like, it's not, it's not actually that there's a lot less. There's actually none of that in my life. Um, <laughs> 
there's no quicksand. I've never had to go up an elevator shaft, and Lisa's never run across the airport to leap into my arms. So what I had imagined would be my story as I got older, it hasn't really kind of unfolded like that, funnily enough. Um, your story, like mine, probably doesn't feel like a thriller or a rip-roaring adventure. Uh, your story probably feels more like a drama. And you know whenever that genre comes up on Netflix, you're like, skip, skip that. A drama? I don't need a drama. I need a thriller or an action. Come watch this drama with me. It's like, I'm not, my whole life's a drama. I don't want to watch a drama. I want to get away from drama, not, you know, drama. What a genre that is. All those perfectly unread books at the library in the drama section that nobody's ever got out. Drama. Maybe it feels like a tragedy at times. Probably not the epicness of a Greek tragedy, just, just a drama tragedy. And maybe a little bit of a mystery, but not, not a murder mystery. Well, I hope not a murder mystery. I hope your story's not a murder mystery. Or just like a, a poorly written drama tragedy mystery story that's very boring. Um, not paced very well. Normally like a real exciting bit, it's like two pages. It's like, oh, that was exciting, two pages. And then the, the drama, tragedy, mystery bits, like, there's nine chapters of this. Why, why is there nine chapters of drama, mystery, tragedy, and only two pages of excitement? This, this novel is not being paced very well. The author, the author has not done a very good job here. This is, not, this is not good. Probably feels something like that. Uh, and if we're honest, probably any sense of discernible plot often feels hidden. <laughs> the big plot of my life. Oh no, it's still a drama, a tragedy, and a mystery at the moment. I can't quite, you know, oh, the, the discernible plot doesn't seem so clear. Uh, Mark Twain, Mark Twain, great author Mark Twain, he said, uh, truth is stranger than fiction because fiction has to make sense. Truth is stranger than fiction because fiction has to, has to make sense. If you got a book out from the library and it didn't make any sense, you wouldn't read the book. Uh, so, so the fiction actually has to have multiple arcs that round, round off and make sense and bring conclusion. And we, we like movies that, we hate movies where suddenly the credits roll up and you're like, are you serious? Is that that? And you feel like you've just wasted an hour and a half of your life because no, that you cannot end. You cannot end the story like that. Truth is stranger than fiction because fiction has to make sense. But the truth of our lives, we want it to make sense, but it doesn't always make sense. Uh, we want it to suddenly weave together brilliantly. Don't you want that in your life? I just want all these unfinished arcs within my story i really like them to weave together brilliantly over the next week and it, it tends not to happen we want delightfully satisfying conclusions to the very story the various story arcs that we navigate god please give me some delightfully satisfying conclusions to these multiple unfinished arcs that i am navigating at the moment uh, we're stuck somewhere in the hero's journey probably about page 318 um, but you don't get to sit by the fire with your slippers in that Earl Grey. You have to actually live it. And you can only live it one day at a time. You can't just like, this is really boring, but I'm just going to read this bit quickly and then move on to the good bit. You, you get to read it about, about the page of, 
about the, the pace of one page a day. You know, imagine reading a novel where you only get to read one page a day, uh, especially in the, the boring bits, like this is endless. And then in the exciting bits, like seriously, we're just doing one page a day? That's not how a novel's meant to be read. And yet our lives can only be lived at one page per day. And so we don't get to speed up the, the, the difficult times or slow down the exciting times. We just have to kind of journey it. And it doesn't feel like a hero's journey, if we're honest. Mostly we don't feel like heroes in our story. Uh, often we don't feel brave or strong. Uh, we don't feel willing, able or confident. What we want to do is sit by the fire and read the other story and get away from our story. That's a better story. Jack Ryan, he's an ex-Marine, a millionaire stock trader, uh, and a story, and then an analyst, and then a CIA agent. Uh, I won't give away, most of you probably know the Jack Ryan story, so I can give that away, but I won't give away the magician plot, because there's 30 good books there, if you like books with magic and dragons and castles and that. But Pug and Thomas, well, one of them can shoot fireballs, and the other one rides a dragon, so that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm a pastor um, who's a little bit burnt out. My superpower is commentaries. Yay! That'll be exciting. Uh, you might be a school teacher who has 33 too many kids in your class. It's like, woohoo! A builder with a bad back and no jib. <laughs> oh, wow. What a legend! I can't wait to read that story. Tell me more. It's like, don't, you know, don't, don't. I don't. I don't know if that's a bestseller, I'm honest. I'm a parent. I'm exhausted. I want to give up. It's a common story. That, that's a common story, that one. <laughs> one page at a time. No, let's just fast forward till they move out of home bit, or whatever it might be. Or slow down order. Not, none of that really sounds like a, a, a best-selling page turner. Not edge of your seat, sweaty with nerves and excitement, you know, fumbling to turn the page to see how what happens next. Like I said, my bag of tricks is, is, is bookshelf of Bible commentaries. If I'm honest, I wish I had a golden dragon. <laughs> if I'm honest, I, I, I do wish that I had a golden dragon. That, that would be pretty cool. Better than a golden dragon, though, we have this passage in the book of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Come on. Ex-marine, millionaire stock trader, CIA agent, shoot fireballs, ride dragons. No, no, no. In our story, we've got the kingdom of God that's like 60 pounds of flour and yeast that's kind of all kneaded together to bake bread. Not only that, Jesus is uttering a reality hidden since the creation of the world. Now we're, now we're talking. All right, what might be in this parable for us? Uh, God's pictured as the woman. God's pictured as the woman kneading dough. It's not a small amount of dough. So you've got to imagine more of ba the context of a bakery or, or a baker's oven, uh, a baker's context, rather than making a loaf of bread at home. There's, there's something large about this. There's something of scale in regards to this. This is this is this is a big deal, not kind of a, a little deal. This is a big this is a big batch of bread that's that's been made. Uh, we're in a bakery rather than a home kitchen. So the the images of, of quantity and totality. 
Uh, it's worked all through the day, uh, all through the dough. Uh, in other translations, it says worked until the whole is leavened. So, so this yeast is, is kneaded through the dough until the whole thing is leavened. So we're talking about the whole world. We're talking about uh, the whole world, not some elite ball of brioche dough made out of fancy flour with special handling. We're, we're talking about this world, this, this, this world that we live, this world that we live in. God's like, God's like a baker. So this woman that's, that's baking a, 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 mass, a mass quantity of bread. And the kingdom of God has been kneaded throughout, massaged throughout, kind of, let's say planted within because that picks up on the seed in the previous parable about the seed that's planted in the ground the only thing with the seed imagery is you could go and you could um if you wanted to you could dig around and find the seed that's been planted with the yeast that's been kneaded throughout the whole of the dough you, you can no longer you can no longer pull that apart now you, you can't go and find that it's it's just kind of massaged throughout the whole thing, which has been true since the dawn of creation. So we're, we're talking about that hidden within the entire cosmos since the creation of the world in all things is, is the person and presence of Christ who is the embodiment of the kingdom of God. Hidden since the beginning, the rule and reign of God. Uh, God's alternative arrangement of human affairs embedded with all, within all things. We're talking about the life, the love, the power, the grace of God's rule and reign is already mixed up in everything that is called all of creation since the dawn of time. Because what's sown is not something that leads to the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of God that is sown. It is the kingdom of God that is needed throughout the, the dark. It's not the result of the seed planted nor a result of the yeast. It's the thing that is embedded into the very dough itself. You could say it's baked into everything. The kingdom of God is something already baked into everything, which means that it's baked into your story too. That the life, the love, the presence, the faith, the grace, the mystery, the hiddenness, the wonder of God is baked into your story since the beginning of creation, the dawn of time. It's to be discovered as a reality embedded within your life and within the multiple arcs of your story as you kind of journey through life. Which is no surprise really when we consider that Christ is the author and the perfecter of our the finisher, the, the author and the finisher of our faith, the New King James Version says. The one who rounds out the miscellaneous arcs of our story. Christ is ultimately the one who will round out the multiple arcs of our story when all is summed up in Christ in the fullness of time. Because all things we gathered and summed up and brought to their conclusion in Christ. It's just that we would like that to be now, not later on. We'd like it to be all summed up now. Or, rather than living on page 318, 
we'd like to be able to have a bird's eye view and come back and just see that the story is going somewhere and know how it's going to conclude. And then we're okay, we'll, we can go back into that kind of thing. I mean, the best books, like Clancy. Clancy's brilliant because the first two-thirds of the book, that book, the first two-thirds of the book, you kind of don't know what's happening. It's kind of like, where's this all heading? And then the last third takes about an hour to read because you're like, you can't stop. You're just like, you're speed reading because this is exciting. It's like that, but we, we, we can't pull back and have the bird's eye view. We, we, we kind of are stuck on page 318. We end up having to talk to people that are older than us and wiser than us and have lived a little longer than us to hear how, oh, they had some mysteries. So they had some arcs in their story that didn't make sense. And they've lived longer than us and seen many of them come to a fruitful conclusion. Not all of them, but, but many of them. And the younger, we are, the younger you are, the more you're like, oh, okay. I haven't seen any of the arcs in my life come to a conclusion, maybe. But there's some people that have walked with Jesus for a little longer, and they're, they're saying that the book's worth reading. The, the arcs close off. So, well, I'm going I'm to take some faith and trust in that. I'm going to turn over to page 319 rather than and just put it up on the shelf. So the older you get, you, you do get more of a sense of that. Various twists and turns in the plot start to make, um, make more sense down the track. Not everything, but some things. Uh, when I was young, when I started working full-time in the church, I was 18. And my pastor said it would be good for me to do a ministry internship diploma with the Bible College of New Zealand because one day I might go to America, and America likes you to have a piece of paper. And I didn't want to do a ministry internship diploma with the Bible College of New Zealand because that sounded boring. I wanted to build a mega church and change the world. I was 18. So give me, give me a break, guys. I was 18. Anyway, I signed up for the ministry internship diploma with the Bible College of New Zealand. I sat in the back row and I read Harry Potter. And I didn't realize how poorly that went down with the faculty until later on. But I, I would write the, I re, it was a, you got to get, I mean, hear me right, it was a ministry internship diploma. So, you know, I've gone on to do a doctorate. So it was early days. So write the assignment on Monday night and hand it in on Tuesday morning. Um, me and my friends would, would do that kind of thing. Many years later, I applied to do my doctorate with Fuller Theological Seminary in the States. And I send them uh, my master's degree transcript. After I finished my master's degree, I did a whole other lot of master's papers just for fun. So I sent them all to them as well. And they said, sorry, you don't have enough. You'll have to do the very long doctorate program rather than the normal size doctorate program. I was like, how can, like, how can that be? And then I was like, I do have this ministry internship diploma, the thing that I did with Harry, with, I think Harry was the lecturer. I can't remember, it was a long time ago. <laughs> so I sent that over to America, sent this piece of paper to America. They go, oh, we like that. Yeah, you can go straight into the normal doctorate papers. Well, fancy that. That worked out well. So I rang up the, my previous pastor and said, oh, you know, cut a long story short, that arc came to a nice conclusion. Um, when we planted St. Luke's, um, you tell people what we were setting out to do 12 years ago, 12 and a half years ago. Oh, we, we're imagining a church that's kind of like this. And you get a few people like, that sounds awesome. And they came and joined and became a kind of church planting group. But mostly you heard crickets. Mostly you heard, oh, I hope that goes well for you. <laughs> All the best kind of thing. It's like, oh, yeah, ancient the, the calendar and the charismatic and the contemplative and 
you're not going to what beat volunteers with a stick? How will that ever work? Kind of thing. So you know, a lot of crickets in the early days. I wrote some stuff the other day on Facebook. Um, mostly, if I put something up on my pastor's page, it'll have two or three hundred engagements. Maybe I don't even know what engagement means. It just probably means someone glanced at it. Um, two or three hundred. I wrote something the other day that had thirteen thousand engagements, which was a few, a fair bit more than um, the normal amount. Uh, then I had the Baptist churches get hold of me because they wanted to quote it in their Baptist magazine, so that's fine. And then Sally Armies got hold of me and they wanted to quote it in the Baptist, in the, no, the Sallies wanted to quote it in the Baptist mag. No, they wanted to quote it in their own mag. They're not trying to take over the other, the other mag. And then there's Wesleyan guy, he wanted my stuff to use for something he was doing kind of thing. So, ah, oh, it's funny how a lot of crickets in those early days and the crickets become quotes kind of later on in life. That was, that felt, but that was a nice arc to the, the story. Um, we, we, got, we were mocked a little bit in the early days by some people in regards to planning the church, like what we were trying to do. And um, now rather than get mocked, we're getting referenced in different things. So that's, that's nice. Um, I sent books to lots of pastors who kind of grew up in the world that I grew up in. And um, I sent them books that I thought would be good for them to read. And you didn't really hear anything back. It's like, fine. 15 years later, 12 years later, 10 years later, my phone's ringing a lot this year with those same pastors going, hey, could we have a Zoom? Could we talk? Um, hey, you sent us this book. I read it. It's, um, so most of my books are in a box, but I've got this shelf in my office with my main books. And the ones that you sent me are all the main books that I, I use now. And the books have become bridges, even though who knows what they were for a long time. So I'm not going to read them. So, well, those are some nice arcs to the story. Now, what you need to be careful though is I'm not, what I'm not suggesting here is the old, when you ever hear the story of Joseph in the Old Testament preach, you know, that classic one, from the pit to the palace. It's like, just stay faithful to Jesus and you'll end up the prime minister of Egypt one day kind of thing. Uh, I'm not advocating for that because I don't think, if I'm honest, no matter how faithful any of you are, I, I just don't believe any of you will end up being the prime minister of Egypt. I just... I'm not saying that prophetically, and I'm not wanting to limit you in your life and your dreams and your goals, but I just, however faithful you remain, I'm just not seeing you ever become the Prime Minister of Egypt. I'm just putting that out there. But you hear those sermons, and, and it makes it sound like um, if you're just faithful in the wilderness, and if you just do the right things, one day you'll be the top of the pile and win everything, and, and uh, you'll get a, this beautiful Pharaoh's daughter to marriage and marry, and you'll get all rings and... Uh, uh, you know, palace and all this kind of thing. It's like, no, that's, that's the wrong thing to conclude from that story. Uh, especially when you consider Hebrews 11, where, you know, plenty of those people that were really faithful were um, sawn into, uh, tortured, persecuted, thrown in jail. It's like, oh, no, go do the Joseph one. Do, do, from, the, do from the pit to the palace. Don't do from the palace to the pit. That's a terrible story. Do the other one. It's like, no, it's not. It's not like that. Because I've just told you some of the nice arcs of some of the stories that come about when you're at a point where I don't know if I can keep, well, I do know I can keep being a pastor, but you know, a few months ago when you're going through a burnout and you're exhausted and beside yourself and every time the phone rings you jump kind of thing, it's like, ah oh, yeah, it's all, all the, the stories are so amazing, look how awesome it's going, like at the same time you're like, oh, I don't know if I can keep going. So it, it's, it's not some one day it'll all be amazing story, it's just this Crazy story how sometimes God does some things that didn't make sense at the time, but the arcs eventually, eventually perhaps, can come around. 
I mean, I'm grateful that uh, four years ago or so I got a professional supervisor and just started meeting with him because that was the best practice and the right thing to do. And uh, our first year we had nice conversations. <laughs> year two and three, we had some really meaningful conversations. And then in the midst of this year, he's been an absolute lifeline and godsend. It's like, oh man, best practice ends up with some beautiful results later down the track. That, that was really cool. Um, I'm glad we've done Lent lots. We practiced kind of walking through a wilderness experience, knowing that one day we'll all go through wilderness experience. Oh yeah, I've practiced doing this. I know how to do this kind of thing. Um, there was a pastor in a class one time who sat across the desk from me and we got on really well and then we didn't connect for 10 years. Now he works across the road from me and uh, we get together for coffee every couple of weeks and he's just been an absolute kind of blessing. It's like, oh man, this this it's amazing how some of these things kind of swing around, but don't don't let that fool you into thinking like one day I'll be the Prime Minister of Egypt because it's not it's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say that there's these arcs that can eventually kind of come right. Because the arcs aren't rags to riches story. That that's not the point. That's silly. That's the prosperity gospel nonsense and tangled up with bank balances and widescreens. I always say widescreens in regards to the prosperity gospel. There's not a widescreen's pretty normal now. Um, but in like 2002, there was this book came out like Jesus wants to give me a double wide, a double double long and widescreens or something. And a double long was like a, this is America book. A double a double long I think is like a really big motorhome. And then widescreens was like, oh, you've got a widescreen TV. That's amazing. Now we're like. I don't know if a widescreen TV counts. That's pretty normal. It's hard to not get a widescreen TV anymore. So it's not, it's not, the arcs of our story are not rags to riches stories. I don't quite know what genre that would be, but it's not about that. Uh, Jesus is the author, but the genre is not rags to riches. Uh, and we need to be clear on the genre if we're to make sense of what's going on. Uh, if we're clear on the genre, we'll be clear on the themes that we should be looking for in our own story. Because if you think the genre is rags to riches and you're looking at your own story, when's my ship going to come in kind of thing? It's like, that's not the genre. That's, that's the wrong genre. That'd be like reading Clancy going, this doesn't feel very much like The Notebook. And it's like, it shouldn't. No one wants to read The Notebook. What a terrible book. It's Clancy. It's a proper adventure thriller with CIA agents kind of thing. You're like, where's the rags to riches part of my story? It's like, no, that's not the genre. You, it's the wrong genre. You're looking for the wrong, the wrong things. If we know the genre, then we can look and have faith to look for the right things and to pay attention to the right things, the kingdom of God at work in our lives. So your story, my story, the genre is an adventure. <laughs> Though sometimes it can be quite adventurous, but that's not the, the genre. Uh, the genre isn't a thriller. Though at times it may be quite thrilling, that's not the genre. Uh, the genre isn't a mystery, though it will be very mysterious at times, but it's not, it's not a mystery story. The genre isn't drama even, though there'll be plenty of drama. I think the genre of our stories is that of God's divine love story. That our story is a story that's tangled up in God's great love story for humanity. A love story, learning to love well. What's the purpose of life? To learn to love well. What's the purpose of life? To learn to love well. To grow, to reflect the fullness of the image of God that's seen in Christ Jesus. And what does Jesus reflect? Jesus reflects God who is love. 
What's life for? Life's for learning to love well. To love God with all my heart, all my mind, with all my soul, my strength. To love my neighbor as myself. To love my enemy. That's uncomfortable. Um, to love my neighbor as I love myself. To love myself as well. I, I think I, I seen as I get older, mostly when we're younger, we're very good at loving ourselves and um, not very good at loving others. So we have to grow and learn and, and grow up in the things of God. But what can easily happen by the time you're 40 or so, you're brilliant at loving others, but you're not very good at loving yourself. And you can swing around. One of the things for me, just going through my own journey this year and burning out and stuff, it's like, man, I'm way more judgmental and harsh and a critic of myself than I am of anyone else ever. It's like I love other people way more than I might love myself or I'll give grace to people more than I'll give grace to myself. It's all oh, I need to pay attention to that. So it's learning to love God, learning to love neighbor, learning to love ourselves, learning to love enemy, which is challenging. So the genre is this, this love story of learning to love well, of growing to be holy, whole and wholesome. When you get this, and when you appreciate this, when you understand this, you ask different questions of the arcs in the story. How is this making me more wealthy? I don't think that that's the story that's being written. Wealth is probably something that comes on your business, or your career, or your job, or all these other economic factors. But the story of what God's actually wanting to do is to grow you to be someone that loves well. Okay, well, how do I pay attention in this moment to see how I might be being challenged and stirred to grow? Well, how is this exciting and adventurous? Life's meant to be exciting and adventurous. Well, you'll have, there'll be exciting bits and adventures for sure, but God's not trying to write an adventure story for you. He's trying to Write a love story where you're learning to love well and to grow wholesome. In some ways, some of the stories I just said about those arcs of different quotes and different things that have happened, they're, in one sense, they're red herrings. Because what's actually happened if you go beneath the surface is that there's been a journey of learning to love God more and love the church and to be more holy, whole and wholesome and to reflect more healthily on what is the church and the nature of the church and what could that be. And it's actually that that's come to fruition, which reveals, oh, there's been a story of learning to love well. That's actually the arcs of the story. Seeds become trees and birds take shelter and yeast leavens and dough becomes bread. Not despising the day of small beginnings because there's you might not be a secret CIA analyst. I actually told my kids for years I was a secret CIA agent, and then um, <laughs> being a pastor was a thing I did on the side, but they never believed me. Um, so you may not be a multi-millionaire stock trader or a CIA analyst or an ex-marine or a guy that can shoot fireballs out your hands or ride a golden dragon. But what we have is embedded within our story is the spirit of God working within us and amongst us to grow us to be the people that we're called to be. And if we can get on board with that story, if we can pay attention to that story, if we can partner with that story rather than fight it, this is boring. It's not very thrilling. You, you know, you, you'll, you'll miss what God's wanting to do if we can pay attention to that. 
truth is stranger than fiction because fiction has to make sense and our lives don't always appear to make sense but we're called to follow christ and discover that all will be made well all, we, all manner of things will be made well we're called to discover that the author is not dead it's not an unfinished story the author died and rose again in order that all the stories could be summed up and brought to conclusion in him. So in the middle of those arcs that feel like a tragedy, feel painful and feel heartbreaking and feel impossible, yet the, 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 the author's not dead. The story's still to be written. I've just got to live it and walk it one day at a time. I've just got to live it and walk it one day at a time, one page at a time. So this parable about this yeast that's embedded within everything that's baked into all the universe, that's baked into your story. It's actually just a, a call for confidence and a call for faith and a call for trust. That the author's not dead, but rather deep hidden away within these things is the kingdom of God to be discovered and brought to life and brought to fullness and brought to fruition. Call to faith in the midst of the craziness of an unfinished, nonsensical, painful, difficult, and challenging story that we're all living at different times. It's very hard at times. So often you'd like to close the book and start over or get a different book or have that other person's story rather than your story or read that bit quicker. It doesn't work like that. But we have this good news that embedded within our own story and the multiple arcs, finished and unfinished, is the grace and the goodness and the kindness of God. The author's not dead, he's alive and well and still writing. And still writing. We just need to be aware of the genre that's been written and we'll be able to partner so much better. All right, let's stand together this morning. We're going to close with the Lord's table.